1: This is HuskerOnline.com. Your authority on Nebraska athletics.
2: I think this is a great matchup, because it's a great challenge. This is a talented, athletic, fast football team. Our first impressions are speed. They've had some productive defensive linemen. They have a productive runner. They have a terrific young passer. A guy's a good quarterback at a, at a young age he doesn't play young he looks very poised had good numbers as a freshman it's a challenge all the way around this is speed team
3: I mean I think it's a you know it's a great opportunity for us you know to show that we're you know we're a better team than what our record shows you know for us seniors it's just another opportunity it's a it's an opportunity for us to go out on top you know with the with the win so that'd be good and it'd be a good springboard for the guys going into next year
4: I mean I'm excited just to you know go out and have another opportunity to play cap off the season and finish it right for the seniors and welcome to the Foster Farms preview
0: edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppin, Robin Wash at Nebraska, getting ready to square off with UCLA in the home of the Super Bowl this year, Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California, for an 8-15 Saturday kickoff on ESPN against an 8-4 and UCLA team that was at one time ranked number seven in the country. And uh, you heard Ryan Reeves and head coach Mike Riley and then Terrell Newby, a California native, Um, kind of setting the stage for, for what this game is. And um, I I think that's my question. I mean, what does this game really mean to bowl teams? And when you look at bowl games and and what bowl games are, a lot of times, Robin, it's who is the motivated team. And, Um, you know, we really won't know that. I mean, how motivated is Nebraska to want to win this game? And do they have enough gas in the tank to win this game?
5: Yeah, I mean, you'd think there's plenty of motivation there, especially with the way the regular season ended and, um, you know, how disappointing of a note that Iowa game was. I think at least, if nothing else, to to send your seniors out on on at least a better feeling than uh, that Iowa game is it should be motivation enough. And then you add in the fact that, what well, would five and eight be their worst record, at least to the modern era, right? Five and eight just sounds so bad. And so, yeah. I mean, if you want to prevent dipping to lower depths of failure, then yeah, I think a win is going to be important. And then, of course, you add in the fact that, uh, you know, a win on a nationally televised ESPN Saturday primetime game against UCLA, and that could do a lot of good just for your momentum and overall team morale going in 2016.
3: Yeah, I mean, I kind of look at these seniors and I wonder where their motivation is. I I can definitely see it with the younger guys, with the seniors. I don't know. I I hope that they come out and play hard. I think they will. I really look at UCLA's motivation and I kind of wonder where their heads are at because, you know, they – this is a disappointing bowl game for them I think like you mentioned Sean they were ranked very high earlier this season How
0: motivated are they for a 5 a 5 and 7 Nebraska Exactly you know the, uh, so many teams go on
3: these bowl trips like you know it's kind of like a vacation they're not even getting to go out of state so,
0: They're basically going to Kansas City you know, for their bowl trip. <laughs> it,
3: it's it. true. So I kind of wonder if these UCLA guys, you know, maybe like we saw, it's a, a different situation, but with Nebraska playing Washington uh, for the second time in a season a couple of years ago, they were a lot better than Washington, but they just weren't very motivated. They didn't really want to be there, and Washington beat them pretty thoroughly. And that
0: started from the top. I can share this story. Blake Lawrence, uh, after a Big Red Wrap-Up um, a couple of weeks ago, talked about that game off the air. and. He said when they found out they were going to play Washington a second time in the Holiday Bowl, uh, which they went to the year before, Bo Polini actually asked the team, do you guys even want to go? Like, let's just not even – I mean, like, basically posed the question, let's not even take this. It's garbage. So, I mean, I think that started from the top. I mean, Bo Pelini and that staff weren't motivated to play a team that they had blown out earlier that year in Seattle. And, and it showed the way they played. I mean, they had no business losing that game. And I think it's the same thing with UCLA. I mean, how excited are they about Nebraska? Will they look at the record or will they look at the in on the helmet and maybe respect – the history of Nebraska.
5: Well, it's also a team that they've torched in two of the last four
0: years. I mean, I guess... I wouldn't they, call the first game a torching. Well, the, they won the, by six offensive points. Offensive
5: numbers were torching.
0: They torched yeah. the defense.
5: 650 points.
3: I mean, Nebraska yards, put up like me.
0: almost 600 yards in that game. I
3: mean, yeah. both both yeah. defenses... That was struggling. close until the
0: end. Yeah, I mean, if Mike Marrow gets a first down on fourth and one, I think Nebraska <laughs> wins that game. <laughs> Mike Marrow, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean they go fourth and one to yeah. Mike Marrow no, instead of right. kicking a field goal that would have tied it, I, I agree, believe. And and Marrow doesn't get it, and they lose that game. At that. that
5: point, though, that was the most yards Nebraska's defense had given up, maybe ever. And so it, you know, yeah, so that torch in that sense. But uh, yeah, so uh, again, yet another
0: reason why there shouldn't be a whole lot of motivation for Bruins. No, and it's. It's a UCLA team that has gone through injuries on defense, too. You look at losing Miles Jack, Eddie Vanderhoos. I mean, these are first-round, second-round type guys. For sure, Miles Jack, and Vanderhoos is a five-star. Um, so you, you wonder where their defense is. Um, we know their offense is going to cause problems. And that, 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 to me, is um, you know, if Nebraska wants to win this game, it, their defense has to get pressure and, and win up front. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of interesting, speaking with
3: Edward Lewis, who's uh, one of the... um, The
0: publisher of uh, the uh, UCLA Rivals Yes,
3: exactly. Thank you. He said that the weakness of this UCLA defense is their running defense. The strength is how they defend the pass. So is Nebraska going to stay committed to the run. Are they going to ram Amani Cross and Terrell Newby, you know, into the line? Are they going to try and establish that run? I think that there are going to be opportunities there
0: because, Sean, like you mentioned, UCLA has been so battered and injured up front. And I think Nebraska will be healthy, and that will be something we haven't seen a lot of this year. Uh, They will be fresh up front. And I think the factor of guys like Malik Collins and Minton Valentine wanting to get paid, I mean, I I would hope those guys are motivated – to have an excellent bowl game and, and and leave it all out there.
5: Well, it's going to be a heck of a stage for that to happen, too. I mean, it's the only game on on national television, so you can bet there are going to be a lot of eyeballs on that game. And if you're able to come out and have a dominant performance, get your name called by the announcers a few times, I mean, that that could do a lot for your draft stock, especially going to the combine. And one thing we haven't even talked about was uh, the UCLA's offensive coordinator, Noel Mazone, was hospitalized. He uh, was in the ICU with blood clots in his lung. Uh, so that's something that certainly I think is probably another issue that UCLA is having to deal with I mean they're not even thinking about football in a lot of senses with uh, that, that that type of situation so I mean again it's, it's it seems to be that as far as a motivation aspect goes Nebraska certainly has a lot more
0: uh, incentive than UCLA does it's just a matter of can they match up with this Bruin offense and um, get pressure on Rosen I mean I think that's the x factor and Jim Mora Let's tip our hat to this guy. I mean, UCLA was a very unstable program uh, for, for a lot of years. And, and Jim Mora has brought in stability there. Um, you think about the guys that have gotten fired before him. Rick Neuheisel got fired. Um, Carl Tor, not Carl Torbush um, – um the guy that jay, jay, norvell, jay norvell worked on his step but the coach before that got fired and they just haven't had stability jim mora has turned that team into the top program in southern california they're better than usc so um you know when mora was hired i remember four years ago when we went out there robin i think a lot of us were like is this guy really a college coach mm-hmm. and I, I think he's done a heck of a job as good as any guy from the pros that has come into college um in recent years yeah and
5: he was coming off that train wreck stint with the atlanta falcons too and so people were kind of. Uh, wondering what kind of coach this guy actually was, but you're, I, you're exactly right. He's a perfect fit for L.A. I mean, you have to be a different kind of coach to handle L.A. college football because it's a completely different beast out there just because of the amount of you know competition there is, not only with USC, but all the pro teams and other
0: things are hard to do out there so yeah
5: he, he's done a wonderful job there and again to the hat to him for uh being able to turn that program into the winner it is
0: is that right the Raiders and the Chargers could both be in LA for football in the next few years they're, they're sh- pushing towards it absolutely basically like, and the
5: Rams are in the discussion as well
0: so they'll do a New York deal with two teams sharing one stadium is that yep. kind of what they want to do and
5: it sounds like the Rams might be the odd team out here we'll see what happens but uh you know I, I don't think that there's the, the the LA teams or the California teams are all that interested in partnering up with the, the Rams
0: but We'll see. It would be yeah. I think I heard this morning, heard this week that St. Louis is in the process of maybe getting a new stadium built, mm-hmm. which would mm-hmm. keep them there. Obviously, but um, yeah, too, too bad. I mean, think about that though. California, the San Diego and Oakland fans just lose their team to L. A. But NFL wants to be in L. A.
3: I think the San Diego one looks like a slam dunk. I'm not so sure about the Raiders, but I think Philip Rivers is already like giving interviews about playing his last game in San
5: Diego.
4: That well, stadium oh, in yeah, San Diego, I was about to say, Qualcomm, I mean, it was awful. I
0: best. mean,
5: awful. I've seen college stadiums that just completely dwarf that. Thing. I've seen high school stadiums. Oh man, it's terrible. What a, the, what a dump.
0: Yeah, just the press box and and
5: of course every time we there, it's like you know 30 degrees and sleeting or whatever. So it was uh, an
0: yeah. open air press box media complaints i've covered too many holiday bowls in my life so <laughs> that 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 will be probably my last well i mean you'll be curious what happens to that stadium once the chargers leave will the holiday bowl even exist i mean that's yeah that's a legitimate question um going forward when you talk about the state of football if they're not going to put any money in that stadium if the chargers are done would the holiday bowl even be there but uh, that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother show uh, when we come back here on the husker online radio show we will talk more offensive storylines and uh what to watch here in the bowl game
1: You're listening to HuskerOnline.com. Your authority on Nebraska athletics.
0: Yeah, you know he met with the offense separately after that, and he goes, he's like, "That's on me." You know, I gotta, I gotta get watch more film. I gotta just make better decisions. And you know, he took it like a man. He didn't put it
1: off anyone else. He took all the blame himself. And you know, it was good to see him show his leadership. And I look forward to playing with him.
4: We just talked a lot about not being able to. Uh, live with turnovers. I mean, that's just something that is is a huge indi- indicator in a win and a loss. You know, so we have to do a better job of taking care of the ball. And I think he he knows that. Um, you know, there's just a lot. There's more and more work to do, and we just have to keep growing and you know, learn from the mistakes and play better the next week.
0: Back here on the Husker Online show as we preview Saturday's Foster Farms Bowl, Nebraska UCLA 8:15 kickoff on ESPN. As Nebraska trying to salvage this five and seven season and. Um, I think really the the biggest question for a lot of people is quarterback. And, and you heard wide receiver Brandon Riley there, offensive coordinator Danny Langstorff talking about Tommy Armstrong and and, and where he goes from that dismal Iowa game. Nebraska lost Iowa 28-20 to um, despite the fact Tommy Armstrong threw four picks. I mean, they still had a chance to win that game. And um, Tommy actually addressed the team about a week after the Iowa game. He apologized to the offense and put that on him and Um, this is a big moment for Tommy going into next year because if if he has another dud after the dud he put out at Iowa and really, I mean, you could argue his whole last month has been a dud nine interceptions. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. They beat Rutgers. Very fortunate to beat Rutgers. When you look at some of the decisions Tommy made in that Mm -hmm. game and the Michigan state game, I mean, he threw two really bad picks in that game. um, You know, that took points off the board when you go back and look at it and they were able to overcome that. But, um, can Tommy grow up and, and make right decisions, or is he going to be the guy that he is that we know he is right now?
1: Well, I'll
5: at least, you know, give Tommy credit where credit's due. And <laughs> he's manned up to this. I mean, just as far as coming up and, uh, you know, taking the blame for that Iowa game. And, he, you know, he's said that he's not played well and, Uh, He's continuously vowed to get better, but at some point words are just words. You got to actually translate that into the product on the field. And so far, like you said, he's regressed uh, seemingly every single week since the start of the year. And. That's got to be a real concern for this coaching staff is, you know, this is a guy that you're counting on to be the leader of your offense. And he's a liability at this point. I mean, you are losing games because of his decision making. And so that's that's got to be something that factors in as they approach the off season, And, you know, especially with the new uh, you know, talent they're bringing in at the quarterback position, uh, come start a spring ball. Uh, I think that there's, there's going to be a real serious uh, d- debate about what the, what Nebraska needs to do with that quarterback spot because uh, right now Tommy is giving them very little reason to believe that he's the answer.
3: Yeah, there's so much chatter about Patrick O'Brien potentially coming in and making a run at the starting job or Nebraska going after a graduate transfer guy at quarterback. Guess what, Tommy? This is your first audition here. I mean, he's been auditioning all season, but this is kind of you know his opportunity to leave – a taste you know in in the minds um, of the Nebraska coaching staff whether that's a good or a bad taste we'll have to see.
0: You're listening here to the Husker Online show as Nebraska gets ready for the Foster Farms Bowl and and I'm intrigued what the game plan will be on offense. Um, I think And Dan uh, touched on this. I think you have to run it at UCLA effectively uh, for Nebraska to win this game. And, um, you know, in the Pac-12, I don't know how much running quarterbacks they see. Um, So I would hope we see a good mix of Tommy on the ground, um, some option. I mean, you know, there's really no tomorrow for Nebraska. So I think you can run Armstrong a lot in this game. Um, and, and, you know, maybe make this UCLA defense respect his option ability and zone readability and and just mix it up to give yourself a better chance to win.
3: UCLA ranks 88th in the country in rushing defense. How many yards per game? uh, 187.3. That's a lot. 4.3 yards per carry. So this is not a team
0: that's very good against the run. And I think, I mean, that's where it starts. I mean, wouldn't you agree, Robin? I mean, they have to, I think Nebraska's got to shoot for about 200 on the ground.
5: Yeah, and I wouldn't say just for this game. It's kind of been the game plan for every game this season. I mean, when Nebraska runs the ball effectively, they are a significantly better team. And that will continue to be the case for the end of until time. Until we die. Yeah, until the end of time. I mean, if Nebraska runs the ball their chances of winning go significantly up. And so, yes, for this game, if you run the ball, your chances of winning are better. And that should be the formula from here on out with the staff.
0: And what did Tom Osborne tell Mike Riley in one of their few conversations at that Misty's lunch? You got to run the ball. And yeah. I mean, you think about the conditions here in the fall. When it's a hot fall day, you get a strong south wind. When it's a cold fall day, you get a strong northern wind. So, it's um, the wind conditions don't really allow you to to be a heavy passing team I mean it's gambling and I think Nebraska with this offense I mean you're not going to put up 300 rushing yards a game it's just not realistic but I think if you can shoot for around 200 I mean that that's a very winnable number in today's college football
3: well I think a big part of it was Nebraska never really had that stud running back step forward you know we've kind of had this lineage over the past NFL guys eight years yeah Roy Halu to Rex Burkhead to Amir Abdullah there's not one of those guys on this roster Terrell Newby we want him to be that guy. He's not that guy. Imani Cross isn't that guy. Uh, I really like Divine Zigbo. and you know we don't know really anything about Mikhail Wilbon because he doesn't get on the field. But the coaches don't think those guys are that guy. So I think that's a big reason why we haven't seen the rushing totals of years past.
0: And the question is, will it be just status quo at that running back position? Will it be Amani and um, Terrell, or will they mix it up? And I think Amani, what he gave Nebraska late in the year was he just kept them on schedule. And they just kind of settled with that. They're like, all right, second and six is a hell of a lot better than second and nine. Mm Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, especially with, you know, you don't want to put Tommy in unnecessarily difficult situations because, again, the chances of him doing some bonehead play are uh, unfortunately pretty high. But uh, when we talked to Danny Langsdorf last, you know, it's funny. We talked about Amani Cross kind of being the the guy that emerged towards the end of the year. Well, when he asked him about the running back rotation, he mentioned newbie and Devino Zigbo. Didn't even mention Amani Cross. So. Who knows what's going on with that running back rotation? I know a lot of fans. That's been a point of just extreme content, uh, contentment because of just the way they've handled that. There's been no consistency,
0: no... And the offensive it, line is partly to blame, too. Absolutely. I mean, Nebraska is not mauling guys up front. Let, let's, I mean, Nebraska was very fortunate with Amir Abdullah to make that guy miss a lot of times. They don't have guys that can make that guy miss, so you're not able just to get mm-hmm. free yards. Every yard is earned... Um, because Nebraska's offensive line is just not winning and dominating up front. And um, Boyd Epley in that article about strength and conditioning even hinted out that. I mean, everybody knows this offensive line is not a uh, championship caliber line. Right? No,
3: not at all. I mean, you can say Alex Lewis is second team All-Big Ten. I'm not buying that. <laughs> Sorry.
0: This is not even talk about Alex no. Lewis. no. <laughs>
5: Yeah, and you know it, it, the blame goes three ways. I mean, the offensive line hasn't been getting the push. The running backs aren't making anybody miss and making plays. And the coaching staff isn't necessarily sticking with the run long enough to make it successful. And when they do, they're making you know kind of questionable play calls. They're running out of shotgun and uh, you know not committing to a power running game. So I mean, the the blame is kind of full circle, and that's got to be something that improves. Because again, as we mentioned, if Nebraska runs the ball, uh, they're a completely different program.
0: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as Nebraska uh, getting ready for their, their bowl game Saturday against UCLA. where We're talking offensive storylines. We've hit on Tommy Armstrong. We've hit on the running back position. Um, I don't – I mean, receiver-wise – um, I, you know those guys have played well throughout the year and I think if Nebraska wins this game I mean th- those receivers are going to have to come up big like we've seen them at times you know Tommy Armstrong has been the master of getting out of these third and fourteens but the receivers have been a big part of that and I think there are going to be some of those situations again uh, where a Brandon Riley, a Jordan Westerkamp uh, maybe a Seaton Carter are going to have to bail Nebraska out on uh, a few tough plays on Saturday
3: yeah and Seaton Carter I mean that's a guy who's really come on over these last three games kind of starting with that Rutgers game he's started to establish himself and this is you know just another opportunity for him going into next year real quickly um, I want to mention something you know we were kind of talking about UCLA's motivation coming into this game and UCLA's seven wins this year they give up an average of 17 points per game and their four losses they give up 41.3 so this is a defense that if they're not in it mentally you can attack. You can score on them. You can put up some real yards. Where is UCLA going to be? If they're not mentally locked in, Nebraska's going to have an opportunity to really put put some points on the
5: scoreboard. Yeah, kind of following up on that, you know, we were talking with Stanley Morgan the other day, and I asked him, uh, you know, what, what UCLA UCLA's secondary compares to from what Nebraska's seen this season. He said Iowa. And so I don't know that – It seems probably to be a little bit of a stretch given the numbers you just pointed out there, Dan. But I think what what he means is that they're going to challenge him at the line of scrimmage and be physical with him off the snap. And so that's going to be another thing where Nebraska's receivers have to answer that physicality and be ready to come and uh, bring it on every play.
0: All right, when we come back here on the show, we'll shift our discussion over to defense and talk about how the Huskers match up with the Bruins.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com. Your authority on Nebraska athletics. I would honestly say this team is a, another Miami. They got fast receivers, receivers
3: that can catch the ball. To me, it looks like another Miami. Yeah, like a NFL m- quarterback, basically. basically. I mean, well, he's a little freshman. I mean, he could throw. Um, he's a decent thrower. You know, he's a freshman. He got a lot to learn. Just like you know, I feel like Kyle last year at Miami. You know, he was a freshman coming in, had a lot to learn, and this is the same quarterback. As I
4: see this year, my first impression on him is that he likes to throw the ball. He's going to try and sit sit in the pocket, rely on his blockers. They have a pretty decent o line. Ball out.
3: He's good. he's a good quarterback. From what I see, um, he he's improved a lot over the season as far as decision making and those type of things. And you can just see them really grow as a team as the season goes on. From when you watch it from the earlier games like Arizona State, and then when you watch them against like USC as a team.
0: And back here on the Husker Online show, as Nebraska getting ready for Saturday's matchup in the Foster Farms Bowl, the five and seven Huskers versus eight and four UCLA. And uh, you heard Chris Jones, Nebraska's starting corner, Malik Collins, Jack Gangwish. Talking about the standout freshman quarterback Josh Rosen for UCLA, he was the number one ranked pro-style quarterback in the nation a year ago, number one overall player in the state of California, the number two overall player in the Rivals Top 100. So there's no doubt this will be about as highly touted of a player as Nebraska has seen this season. Um, And he's 8-4 and as a freshman. You know, they were were right there. I I think some key injuries affected them where they easily could have won the Pac-12 South. They had to beat USC the last week of the regular season. They fell short. Um, But this is a UCLA team that is very close. And uh, Josh Rosen, I think, will be the challenge. I mean, when you look at Nebraska this year, when they have played these quarterbacks like Connor Cook, Like Brad Kaya, the guys that have NFL arms, that can make the NFL throws, that can get the ball out in the matchups, they've given Nebraska problems, Robin.
5: Yeah, and that's clearly going to be the probably the defining point of this game is how well Nebraska's secondary, which has been as one of the worst in college football, uh, at least they played a little bit better towards the end of the year, but how they match up against a very explosive UCLA passing game led by one of the best freshman quarterbacks in the country. Uh, you know, not only does it the quarterback, they have receivers like Devin Fuller, and just a lot of weapons at their disposal that uh, could pose a whole bunch of problems for Nebraska's secondary if they don't come ready to bring it and so that that i think is going to be uh clearly something that nebraska has to focus on all during bowl prep is just finding ways not to give rosen not only time in the pocket to pick them apart but also be able to lock down those receivers and uh, be able to stick with them like they didn't do in previous matchups
3: i'm gonna play a little devil's advocate here and i'm not trying to rain on the josh rosen parade he's fantastic but i almost think people have put him on this pedestal that he's you know like an all-american type of guy Josh Rosen was under 60% passing in eight of UCLA's 12 games this year. He has three games uh, with multiple interceptions, really kind of n- not struggled so much, but kind of petered out down the stretch, uh, barely completed over 50% of his passes in uh, in UCLA's final two games, it was pretty bad in their last game against USC. I know, like you said, Robin, this is a Nebraska secondary that struggled this year, but I think they're going to have some opportunities against Rosen. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but he is a freshman. And if that pass rush can maybe hurry him up a little bit, he'll he'll make
0: some errors. Like the Rutgers game. If Nebraska's exactly. pass rush um, can do what they did against Rutgers. And I thought Iowa did a good job of not letting Nebraska's pass rush take over the game. Uh, they were very vanilla. They didn't put C.J. Beathard in a lot of five-step, you know, situations where he was going to be sitting back there for Nebraska to get him. Um, you know, he only threw the ball, what, less than, what, 13, 14 times against Nebraska as it was in that game. So um, it will be interesting because you, you expect UCLA to throw the ball 30 to 40 times. And um, that, that's where I think Nebraska can win this game. If their defensive line can just rattle him, get pressure, and hit him, Um, I think that that could be the X factor if Nebraska wins this game.
5: Yeah, and UCLA has only given up 14 sacks all season. So uh, that's one thing to keep in mind. I mean, talk about Nebraska's pass rush, stepping it up. uh, It's going to be a pretty good challenge, not only because UCLA's offensive line line. has held its own, but Rosen doesn't uh, take a lot of hits. So he's he's a tough target to hit.
0: And this will be one of the better running backs they'll see all year, Dan. I mean, you think about the Big Ten, there weren't a lot of great running backs. I mean, it wasn't. A running back year in this league. I mean, Well, there
3: were so many good ones that left
0: after last yeah, season. By comparison. <laughs> yeah. And Ezekiel Elliott, Nebraska didn't face. And, who, and, and the Indiana guy who was all Big Ten first team on a lot of ballots.
3: Mm-hmm, the UAB transfer.
0: I mean, you look at the Big Ten West particularly. Nebraska, Justin Jackson had an okay year for Northwestern, not a great year. But they didn't see a lot of good running backs. So this will be different for them as well.
3: Yeah, Paul Perkins, uh, UCLA's running back. Uh, like I mentioned before, he led the Pac-12 in rushing last year. Was third this season. He's kind of, I, I think he flies under the radar a little bit because this UCLA offense has a couple other, you know, more well-known weapons. But Paul Perkins is a heck of a player, and I know uh, Nebraska's running defense has been pretty strong this year. But they're going to have to bring it this game.
0: He'll be a draft pick. I mean, any, anybody yes, that plays absolutely. in a UCLA type offense that puts up those numbers. I mean, you have to think he's going to be. Um, is he a junior or a senior? Paul Perkins. He is a junior. So you you, you might have a decision to make. I mean, it's kind of one of those positions, as we know, running back, it's hard to um, to know where you're going to fall. It's not a value position, but uh, he might be a guy that comes out too.
3: And he also catches a ball out of the backfield, averages 2.3 uh, receptions per game. We've seen this year that's something that's really given Nebraska trouble at times, uh, having those linebackers covering backs mm-hmm. coming out of the backfield.
0: What do you expect in Robin atmosphere wise? I mean, I, I don't expect a full stadium, obviously, like last year for the Holiday Bowl. Um, I think the record crowd ever for this bowl game is 44,000. So they haven't gotten big crowds. They used to play in the baseball stadium. Last year was the first year at Levi's Stadium. But it should be interesting to see – um, you know, how big this crowd gets? Will, will it push 50,000? I think 40 is a safe estimate, but can can it break that record? Yeah, I don't know.
5: I mean, uh, obviously Nebraska fans are known for how well they travel, but given the date of this game, I mean, the day after Christmas, it's, it just really cramps a lot of potential travel schedules that uh, people are probably just going to decide to actually stay home with their families instead of go and watch a, a bowl game with the 5-7 and seven team. And from UCLA's end, I mean, the same thing. You know, the, the, the date is – going to make it maybe less enticing and then to drive you know, four hours up the road to go watch a team play a sub-500 team in a disappointing bowl game. I mean, uh, from a fan standpoint, I mean, especially when you can just sit at home on your couch and watch it on uh, ESPN, you know, I think that there's going to be uh, probably a lot fewer fans motivated to make this trip than there would be in previous years. And this is not a cheap trip either. No.
0: I mean, uh, we were lucky. I think we spent about five to 600 for our flights. Um, But I know a lot of people said it was more like eight or nine hundred. So, you know, the this the day flying on the December twenty fifth, twenty fourth. Those are already expensive days because everybody is already flying anyway. You know, it's um, you know a lot of travelers for Christmas and things like that. So it's. uh, Definitely not an easy trip for people to make. Well, uh, we'll have full coverage of the Foster Farms Bowl. Both Robin Washett and I will be out in California uh, delivering that coverage. It will be a late night for us, but uh, looking forward to to bringing you that coverage as Nebraska tries to salvage here this 2015 season. When we come back here on the show, we will uh, shift over to basketball and we'll preview the Big Ten and kind of where Nebraska is in the conversation as they get ready to open Big Ten play um, against Northwestern on December 30th.
1: You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics back here on the Husker Online Show. It's our Foster Farms
0: preview show as Nebraska plays UCLA on Saturday, uh, 8-15. Uh, But we are going to talk a little basketball as well. The Huskers close out non-conference play. Uh, They open up Big Ten conference play uh, December 30th. And uh, Dan Hop and Robin Washington here to kind of give their thoughts on on this team, on where they're at as Big Ten play is about to begin. And uh, Nebraska, I I feel like Robin did draw a a decent schedule to open up Big Ten play when you look at it. I mean, Northwestern at home um, and then Indiana uh, at home are your first two games. Then you go to Iowa, then you have at Rutgers, then Minnesota, then Illinois. So that opening stretch is somewhat manageable. It's not like couple years ago when they played basically the entire ncaa tournament field to open up the big 10 play
5: yeah definitely starting out with two games at home i can't i mean it seems like since they've been in the big 10 they usually start like on the road at ohio state or you know some crazy thing like that where they play the best of the best right out of the gate so at least they get to ease into this but you know Northwestern is maybe one of the most surprising teams in the conference right now I mean they, they've you know got some solid wins in non-com play uh, wins over Missouri and at Virginia Tech and their only loss was to North Carolina and so uh, that's not going to be a cakewalk by any means and Indiana is Indiana I mean they're going to be a team that is a young squad that's going to continue to get better that um, you know I think the fact that they get them in Lincoln is huge because winning in Bloomington is a whole different animal but then at Iowa is uh, that's gonna be tough. The, the Hawkeyes are, they had that inexplicable loss to Augustana College in exhibition play, so I think people kind of wrote them off a little bit. But they've been playing some pretty good basketball late. And uh, at Rutgers, who knows? The thing about Nebraska though is you know we're just now starting to figure out what kind of team it is. I mean, I think that following that Creighton loss, people were like, wow, this seems going to be terrible. Then they come back and beat Rhode Island. And so I think we're, we're still in the process of figuring out exactly who the Huskers are. And, uh, that's going to continue to be a process even on into conference play, just because th- this is a whole new experience for these young players on their roster of uh, the, the, taste of the big 10. Cause once you get into that big 10 grind, you know, when there are no, uh, prairie views or Samford's to give you a reprieve, uh, and, and the, the competition is you know, game after game. Uh, we'll see how they respond to that. But uh, like you said, at least the fact that they get to start things off with two straight home games is absolutely huge. And
0: something else, Robin, I like about the schedule this year compared to years past is that there's a lot of Saturday home games. Yes. And, and that has been a complaint. I, I think a lot of Husker fans that are coming from around the state they kind of want to treat a basketball weekend like a football Saturday where they can come down and enjoy Lincoln. And Nebraska, for whatever reason, had been getting stuck with these Sunday games, whether it be like a noon game on Super Bowl Sunday or, you know, one year they played Minnesota, it was like a day game on Super Bowl Sunday. So, I mean, just bad draws, but this year, Indiana is a Saturday afternoon home game. Uh, then you have um, Michigan. Michigan is a Saturday afternoon home game. Um, then you have Rutgers as a Saturday game, Penn State as a Saturday afternoon game, and then Ohio State. Um, is one of those games that's a flex scheduling game uh, that could also be a Saturday home game as well. Um, so, really, um, I, I think as a fan or someone that wants to go to the games, you know, it, it's a great deal this year where I think you're going to get some great crowds. Um, people want to go down to the rail yard, and the atmosphere should be good for a lot of these games.
5: Yeah, and that, that's huge just because, you know, we talked about how big of an advantage pinnacle bank arena is and that it's even more so when there's you know actually uh, a chance for fans to make an evening you can of build it. a day i mean yeah, if, exactly. they, if, they,
0: if they play a one o'clock game you're like oh we're gonna go drink all day and hang out and party and exactly pretend so
5: like we're in college when you again. got people coming straight off work or uh, you know having to work the next morning uh, that kind of changes the intensity a little bit and so if you get you know i mean you got uh, like you said some, some pretty key home games coming in here with Michigan and Minnesota and potentially Ohio state. I mean, that, that changes the whole dynamic of that game. Fans will be up for that. And if they, you know, again, have the whole uh, afternoon or evening to, to prime, so to speak, then it's gives it a little bit more bite to that arena. And that's,
0: what's different about the big 10 because of the big 10 network, you know, in the big 12, everybody played Wednesday, Saturday, and, awesome. and Kansas played big Monday. Always. I mean, that was about it <laughs> where now in the big 10, they've got all these inventories to fill, on the Big Ten network. So you either play Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and then Saturday or Sunday, right? I mean, uh, the, yeah. I mean, and, and there's no rhyme or reason. And this is the first year Nebraska's kind of drawn a really good Saturday home schedule, which I know a lot of people are happy about.
5: They had one Saturday home game all last year, and that was the
0: Michigan State game where they did well, the. Well, and the Cincinnati game was a night game mm-hmm. on a Saturday, but not, and in terms of conference Yeah, games.
5: conference play, conference play, yeah. So, I mean, like, and that was one of the best atmospheres of the season. So the, I think that that. Uh, really just shows how important it is to, to get favorable draws uh, as far as just the week I mean when you get fans an opportunity to really go all out for a game it, it really makes that arena a tough place to play and
0: Dan obviously you've been busy with football and things like that but you, you follow the basketball you've been around the program for your entire life when, when you look at this team you know your questions going into Big Ten I mean, what are your one or two things that you talk about when you talk to your dad and your, your people that know the game uh, that, that really concern you that need to happen in Big Ten play?
3: Well, first I think they need to establish um, their rotation down low, how that's going to work out. Michael Jacobson's had a couple nice games after he started, so maybe he you know, is kind of that guy. But Jake Hammond is – you know, he's not a bad rim protector, but he's just a zero offensively. Ed Morrow, right now, I think he's, you know, a pretty good offensive rebounder, but I don't know what he really gives you offensively. And he gets himself in a lot of foul trouble. So I think, you know, it hasn't hurt him so much in the non conference, but when you start playing some of these Big Ten teams that have more post up threats, that could be a problem.
5: I just don't know what's going to happen when they face Purdue with exactly 7 footers they yeah. have on that team. That, <laughs> that could be that could be real ugly.
0: What's that guy for Purdue? I mean, that guy who's the seven footer for Purdue? The, Hammonds AJ Hammonds AJ Hammonds. Um, I mean, he's been there. I mean, seems since, like fifteen years since Nebraska was in the Big Eight. I mean, oh that guy God. has, and you know, he's one of those people that could have declared almost every year and. Um, it's probably paid off that he's come back to Purdue
5: well what's funny about him is the big knock is when he actually tries he's one of the most dominant big men in college basketball the the problem is getting the motor to stay on a consistent basis because we've seen when he checks out he is an absolute non-factor so that's what Nebraska has to do is continue to get him frustrated and get him out mentally but then you have you know six foot nine 250 pound five-star freshman caleb swanigan coming in you know you got, averaging
3: almost a double double
5: yeah you just got just height through the roof i mean it's you know jaquil taylor 610 and uh isaac hayes a sophomore who was another five-star prospect you know how they get all these seven guys? two 282 i mean they're they're just they're the, one of the most monstrous rosters you'll see okay. in college basketball
0: i mean nebraska's been a better team than in the last three years, two years. I mean, how has Purdue gotten all these guys? It's
5: a credit to Matt Painter, assistant I mean, for, coaches, magic of Matt Painter. Yeah, it's it's about connections and uh, being able to actually land guys that you're in on. Nebraska has been in on bigs. I mean, the the fact that you know people think that Nebraska is not even recruiting bigs is ridiculous. They are. The fact is that the way it comes down to it, though. The, the appeal for playing time at Nebraska usually loses out to other factors. And, you know, Purdue has a history of developing big men in the NBA. Uh, they're, you know, absolutely loaded right now. And so that's, uh, you know, I think it's it's just one of the more frustrating things because I know how much fans are clamoring for Nebraska to get at least one dude who's 6'10", that can, you know, be a legit post-presence, where you got a Purdue team that's got three of them.
0: All right, let's close with predictions. Give me, first of all, Robin, give me your top three teams after non-conference in the Big Ten. Number one, answer that question.
5: Michigan State, clearly. Number one. Yeah, yeah. They're they're far and away. Denzel Valentine is not only one of the best players in the league, he's one of the best players in college basketball. And then Maryland is a real close second. Uh, I think that they're only going to continue to get better and better. Uh, and then, you know, right now, I mean, Purdue? you, yeah, Purdue, yes. Purdue's got to be up there. I mean, I don't know if there's a team that can physically match up with them inside when all three of those guys are going. Uh, Northwestern's playing a lot better than most people give them credit for. I think Ohio State's going to turn it around here. Uh, they had some pretty ridiculous losses early on in the year. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens with Wisconsin, you know, with their whole I- Iowa. their situation. Iowa's going to be in there in the thick of it. They'll be in the top half of the conference. Uh, you know, Illinois was projected to be pretty, you know, high up there but they lost three players from their original starting lineup due to injury or suspension so i mean they've been absolutely decimated and then we don't know about minnesota and so after that first that cut line four of or three. five, yeah. I mean, then you, you know what you're going to get probably towards the top half, but Nebraska has a legitimate chance. If this young roster is able to continue to progress, Andrew White and Siobhan Shields are able to continue to carry this team. They have a legitimate chance to be a top half of the league team when, when, when all is said and done, as far as overall record, just because they have that home court edge. And if they're able to steal games on the road. As in, like, t-
0: top seven, when you say top, I mean, there's four. yeah,
5: Yeah, of the league, yes. Uh, just because, like I said, the, the Big Ten isn't what it used to be. It's not this, I mean, the, there's good teams, obviously, at the top, but in the middle, it's kind of a big logjam right now. I mean, Ohio State's been a disappointment. Wisconsin's been a disappointment. Uh, you know, the, and Michigan, who knows what they're going to be. And Minnesota, they've already, they lost to uh, South Dakota. Craig Smith just drew, drew up the, the blueprint of how to beat the Gophers. So uh, it, it, I think the opportunity is there for Nebraska to be a lot better than most people gave them, you know, the, the chance for but it's going to come down to it's going to come down to nebraska actually getting it done
0: last question how many conference wins they play 18 games
5: (sighs) you know i think they have the potential for 10 but a lot of things are going to have to go right for that man
0: that's pretty glass half full i know i I know i I think
5: seven eight that's going to come down to winning games on the road you got to beat illinois on the road you got to beat wisconsin on the road you got to beat penn state and obviously uh maybe try and rutgers and then hopefully steal one against one of those
0: I think 7 or 8 would get them in the NIT. Yeah, know,
5: and I think that's probably more realistic.
0: That's um, if they can get 7 or 8, that would get them above 500 yeah. in the NIT. So,
5: so best case, you're looking right about 10. Realistically, I think 8 is, is reasonable.
0: All right, well, that wraps up our Big 10 basketball preview. We'll close out the show next with Nate Klaus as we get a, kind of a bigger picture snapshot of where Husker recruiting is. That's next here on the Husker Online Show.
1: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We want to recruit California,
2: and we want to recruit Florida. You know, we're going to have to go coast to coast. So everywhere we go, it's important, and California would be a very good example of that. You know, and and yes, we have ties out there but I don't wanna make California recruiting any more important than the rest of the world. But but I've got a vision about how this recruiting can work, and if we could get two or three guys a year from California and keep that connection going and growing, that's what I wanna do. We're we're headed that way this year. If everything continues, we might get four guys. That, That would be good.
0: And back here on the Husker Online show, uh, as we get ready for Saturday's Foster Farms Bowl, uh, Nebraska versus UCLA. Let's we'll talk some recruiting uh, with Nate Klaus here. Uh, as you heard, head coach Mike Riley talking about the blueprint, and and I think it's something Nate that he's still learning. And um, I think he has figured out the importance of the 500 mile radius, and he's not trying to go too heavy in one or two particular regions. He wants balance, but I think the perfect world, the 500 mile radius would comprise over 60% of your class. Yeah, there's no
4: question about it. The, I think you know, most new staffs that come in that don't completely understand exactly how recruiting works at Nebraska or what you have to do, right. I, I think you know a lot of times they come in thinking, hey, we're going to use this, this national brand to, to go from coast to coast and, and offer every good player that we come across and uh and that's a uh, i mean in theory you know that's something that can work, but at the same time, I think you can really spread yourself out a little too thin. So uh, I think it makes sense to really try to add, you know, at least 60% of your your uh, class from the 500-mile radius, and then have a couple hot spots that you really like to to recruit that you can utilize connections. And, and California is definitely one of those states that that is going to continue to be uh, something that uh, Mike Riley recruits.
0: And in my opinion, recruiting Nate has come down to really one thing now, and it's the unofficial visit. and and that's why the 500-mile radius is important. I mean, you know, we asked Mike Riley about the importance of California. Yeah, it's important. I have a lot of contacts in California. We got Patrick O'Brien. We got Darian Graham. We've gotten some good players, possibly Keyshawn Johnson. But they're not trying to bring in 12 Californians in one recruiting class because recruiting, Nate, is the unofficial visit now. You have to get guys here. And a lot, all of that happens well before September of their senior year. And that means they have to pay for everything. And um, typically when you have to pay for everything – you don't want to pay a lot of money, and you know, your kids want to be able to drive somewhere, and, and that's why I think the 500-mile radius is so
4: important. Well, yeah, kids are taking recruiting visits, you know, with their sophomore, or junior years. And they got to pay for it all, and they got to pay for it all, and they they're making commitments, you know, their sophomore, or junior years. So, um, you know, getting it's all about getting kids on campus, and, and Mike Riley will tell you that everyone who's coached or re, you know um, recruited to Nebraska will tell you that it's all about getting them on campus, and and you know it goes without saying that the you know the farther away they are the harder it is to do that uh, especially when you have to be recruiting uh, kids earlier and earlier because the whole process is sped up so and and if the ncaa is not going to mandate any type of rule changes where kids can start taking official visits you know before their senior year then i then i think you have to really um, hone in and and try to get kids from the 500 mile radius first that you know that you know you can get on campus uh, you know fairly easy
0: in Nebraska, they they will be in Northern California in Santa Clara on Saturday, uh, Levi Stadium for the Foster Farms Bowl against UCLA. Not a, a ton of Northern California storylines when you think about the recent history. Roy Hallou came out of Northern California. Go back to Bernard Thomas, but it's not been a consistent hotbed. I, I think Southern California. Um, that corridor definitely produces a lot more talent for Nebraska, at least, than what Northern California's produced. Yeah,
4: for Nebraska, Southern California has been, uh, you know. Way more fruitful, uh, but there is you know, a lot of talent that still comes out of Northern California. And now, what you're seeing is, uh, you know, I, I think a guy like Keith Williams, who's from California, from Northern California, has a lot of connections up there, um, has a lot of connections across the state in general. But I think that uh, you might see more and more Northern California guys start to to come out of that uh, that region that are interested in Nebraska. And Lamar Jackson in this year's class, you know, the Rivals 100 safety um, out of Elk Grove, which is just South of Sacramento is is definitely one of those guys.
0: Keith Williams, Nate, strikes me as the guy that knows a lot of uncles. Yes,
4: uh, <laughs> he, he knows he knows everybody and knows everybody's uncles. Um, you know, it, it, that's uh, and that's a good thing. You got to have a guy like that. On you got to know staff. everybody's
0: uncle in recruiting. That's and, right. And if you know the uncles, you're you're usually going to go pretty far. But um, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we wrap up the show um, and, and talk some recruiting. Nate, the Rivals 250 came out. For 2017 uh, when you start to look at two three names nebraska could be in on 500 mile radius guys even you give us a snapshot of maybe a, a few names to watch
4: well the, uh, the 500 mile radius is actually kind of uh, kind of thin uh, for next year. And that it, always happens a, they, they, they time, just
0: don't know our area exactly I mean, we have a guy in michigan that covers our whole area and he just doesn't he can't see everybody yes
4: yep. So that's been you know one um, you know one talking point is boy there's no talent in the five hundred mile radius. Not structure. true. That's not true. And we're going to see a lot of guys kind of continue to move up their ranks. You know Chester Graves is a defensive end out of Kansas City that that came in uh, just outside the the rivals 100 and and really that's one of the the only you know guys uh, boor, you know in the states bordering Nebraska that's in that that's in that uh, 250. Now uh, Javon McQuitty the the wide receiver out of Columbia Missouri. Uh, Battle High School uh, was named a, a four-star just outside of the Rivals 250. He's definitely going to be moving up the ranks. He, that's that's a kid Nebraska has to get for next year, uh, and they were the first to offer, and I think they're sitting pretty well. But uh, I think when you look down that list, the, the thing that really pops out are, are a lot of those California guys. Um, you know, to kind of go back to, to the you know, you know California, um, all those Calabasas kids: Darnay Holmes, uh, Keyshawn Johnson Jr., uh, Tristan Jebbia.
0: What's Jebbia at? Is he- in the hundred?
4: Yes. Um, it uh, Holmes and Jebby are in the hundred. Keyshawn Johnson Jr. is in the the 250, um, and then Germany Brown is a kid who's committed to Arizona State from Calabasas, uh, but that's also in the 250. You got four guys on from one team that's in the rivals 250, which is uh, pretty impressive. All those guys have been on campus, and I think Nebraska still is, uh, you know, probably considered the the leader for Keyshawn Johnson Jr., uh, Tristan Jebbia as well, um, and we could see, you know, them. Those two guys make a decision here in the next two or three months uh, for sure. Uh, I think before you know, before the end of this year, uh, those guys will be making a decision. That would be a huge, huge boost in this 2017 class. Um, and I've been saying all, all along that I think the 2016 class is going to finish out really nice. But the, 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 the potential for, uh, that, that is in that 2017 class is just off the charts. That, that has a, a, the potential to be really a program-changing class.
0: All right. As we close the show, Nate, let's talk 2016. And um, what to you are the two, three needs? Let's not get into specific names, but what position groups, in your opinion, need to be closed out well?
4: Well, I think offensive tackle is is right at the right at the top of the list. Um, you know, there, you've got four offensive tackles really uh, that are returning on the roster. So Nebraska is wanting to to sign three in this class. Uh, they currently don't have any. Now they are in on a handful of guys, but uh, I think the offensive tackle is definitely a, the position where they need to finish um, out extremely strong. With uh, defensive end is is another spot where I think uh, they've got some young talent there but they need to continue to stockpile add depth there Uh, and then then in secondary um you know that was a, a, a point of concern this season, obviously. That was uh, maybe the, the weak spot on the team. Again, you've got a couple talented uh, studs like Eric Lee and, and Avery Anderson coming up, but you really don't know, you know, how exactly they're going to pan out. So I think you need to continue to infuse some talent at that cornerback position and back there at safety. Um, you know, those three positions are, are the the groups where um, I think they could really make or break this 2016 class.
0: All right, inquiring minds want to know, Nate, what is the number though I, I mean it's so hard to know I mean there's 17 seniors on scholarship Malik Collins would be 18 um, you, you remove two of those freshmen that that were um, you know like our Adrian Talon and then uh, the running back um, Jordan, Stevenson. Jordan Stevenson who uh, we won't even go there <laughs> uh, but that, that puts Nebraska I mean that's I think 20 um, but there's going to be a few more attrition guys I mean can you just say 25 is that I think safe
4: 25 is a safe number um i, I think that uh what i think ideally it would be 27 28 um you know if if you're able to to maybe and i hate to say it this term but if you're able to maybe cut some dead weight or part ways with some guys that that uh you know maybe are underperforming or or maybe just not going to ever really perform for you so um i think 27 28 is ideal 25 is probably you know the 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 main target number, I guess you could say. But um, it's really frustrating because um, there's a lot of kids who are ready to commit to Nebraska. And I think Nebraska still looks at their roster and and says, we've got a lot of needs yet that we want to fill. But they don't have I – you know, I don't think they have a, a great idea of exactly what that number is going to end up being, um, you know, until probably after the bowl game, after, you know, they have some talks with some guys to see, you know, what their future holds.
0: Well, Merry Christmas to you and your family, Nada. You Thanks too. for all the hard work uh, you have done this year uh, bringing the best recruiting coverage to Husker fans. Th- thank you. And that puts a wrap here on today's edition of the Husker Online Show.
1: Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.